Well, good evening, everybody. We're going to go ahead and get started. Um, Dalton, uh, there he is, he's in the back. Uh, his time today is over, so now he's going to sit and learn. Uh, but it was good. It was good the last two sessions, and hopefully you enjoyed it. And for those of you that are just coming in, I want to welcome you, and uh, I'm sure that you'll be blessed. Uh, we have Pastor Chad Colburn with us tonight, and uh, he is the pastor over at South Liberty Baptist Church in South Liberty, Maine. And uh, he's uh, somebody that I asked to come up here, and I know he's a friend of Dalton, so uh, looking forward to seeing what he has, has for us uh, as part of this workshop. Um, and I appreciate him coming up here and taking the time. He's only going to be with us tonight, so he drove all the way up here. He's going to speak to us for about an hour and a half and then go all the way back down. So I appreciate his dedication uh, to teach the Word of God to us. So be sure to thank him, and I'm thankful for him and that he did this. So let's go ahead and pray and ask God to bless our time tonight. Dear God, we thank you for what we've learned thus far in these last two sessions. We thank you for these men that uh, have taken the time uh, out of their busy schedules to be here and to learn more about how to study the Bible, how to exposit scriptures. And I pray that you'll just help us tonight as we look into your word again for another hour and a half or so. I pray that you'll be with Pastor Colburn, that you'll give him the right words to say and wisdom and just lead him and guide him. And I pray that you'll just give us a profitable time this evening and also tomorrow. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you for your mercy and grace that you give us every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good. Okay, is it okay for me to move this sure. that way? Yep. All right, good. I'm going to go. Man, that thing's heavy. <laughs> that is beautiful. I don't think I've ever preached or taught from something so transparent. <laughs> All right. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Uh, my name is Chad Colburn. I'm pastor of the South Liberty Baptist Church in Liberty, Maine. I've been there now for 11 years, and right from the get-go, um, I just want to make sure that you know that there's, there's many of you that can and will probably tonight teach me. So this is, uh, I hope that you understand that I'm not coming into this um, with a mindset to teach you anything that you or, or you may not hear anything from me that you haven't already considered um, but as iron sharpens iron right so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend and so I'm hoping that the time that we spend together uh, is a time in which we can sharpen each other right um, I really appreciate and I'm, I'm uh, humbled by the opportunity to have a, a, a voice um, in the lives of other men. others, uh, All of us have been shaped by other men who came alongside and either slapped us up you know, behind the head or pat us on the back, whatever. Men ought to sharpen men. We live uh, in a culture that is uh, dominated by women and uh, with all due respect to God's creative work uh, of women, God has uh, ordained that men are to be leaders, hmm. and that whether you're whether you're in a formal preaching or teaching ministry, or you're in a position where you would describe yourself as a layman, we're all teachers. We're all we're all instructing. We sometimes we teach with our hands, 
Sometimes we teach by our actions or, or with our words, but we're all teaching something. And so we all want to get better at what we teach, right? Amen. All right, wonderful. So uh, I've got um, six children. My wife Amanda and I have six children. I've got a daughter who just turned 15. And then I got five boys. And I'm thankful that God gave me a daughter first to kind of break me in on raising kids. Uh, but I am thankful for my boys and all the yelling, stomping, fighting, all that that goes on. All of that competitiveness is good. All right, so when it comes to you know the expounding and the exposition and the, the craftsmanship, the skill of drawing out from the text and then uh, working that and shaping that and, and giving that to others, I'm going to defer to Dalt as uh, much stronger in that area than, than me. Um, my gifting, according to God's wisdom, is that I'm a slow thinker. Sometimes that's a cursing. <laughs> I wish I could think more quickly, but I tend to like to slow down and think about things, watch people. Um, I grew up in Maine. Um, I'm a 12th generation New Englander. Okay, so my first ancestor purchased land um, on the Merrimack River in Drakeet, Massachusetts in 1665. It was my first uh, American, first, first United, I guess, uh, uh, this, yeah, this side of the pond, that's when we came <laughs> over. And just gradually worked our way into Maine. So, unfortunately, I've got Massachusetts roots, but it's, it's by now. <laughs> by now, I think it's yeah. By now, it's washed out. I think. Uh, so, uh, one of the things that that um, I try to do is I try to slow down and think through things before I say a whole lot because whenever I speak quickly, I say dumb stuff. <laughs> so. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is, is kind of where we're going to focus this evening. Ecclesiastes, and again, just by way of introduction, I know that you probably know this, but Ecclesiastes works through just the emptiness of man's pursuits, uh, the brevity of man's life, man's search for meaning, man's search for purpose. It's Solomon's search for meaning and purpose outside of God. You know, is there meaning? Is there purpose? outside of God, not necessarily him walking away from God, but looking at things from a different perspective. Is there any meaning? Is there any purpose under the sun? And so you're in Ecclesiastes 12, but I'll read to you verses, uh, verse 2 of chapter 1. He begins with a thesis, and that thesis, that, that propositional statement in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 2 is, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Isn't that kind of a downer way to open your message? Right? <laughs> but it is, understand, this is not, Solomon is not being emotional here. He is giving us his propositional statement, okay, his thesis. This is the thing that he is setting out to prove. So when you read Ecclesiastes, you know from the get-go, this is not a narrative, this is not a story, this is not um, some kind of meandering Work. This is something that, though we know it's given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Solomon, being a holy man of God, is moved to do so. We also know that God worked through Solomon's experiences, Solomon's pursuit of wisdom, to teach him these things. And so he begins with a thesis statement, and he 
works through the book showing that apart from God, life under the sun has no meaning and no purpose, right? We can kind of see that worked out in the lives of people every day. People that, that have no um, unifying worldview, okay? Just, just people that have, have no cohesive worldview have no meaning or purpose in their lives. They just go from day to day, you know, scraping the, pa- the plate clean till they're done and moving on to the next meal. He works that thesis out as he reflects on various pursuits and pleasures of life. So he works through the pursuit of wisdom, the pursuit of wealth, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of work. And he finds that they're ultimately meaningless and unable to provide real satisfaction apart from God. I read a guy one time who, um, this, the author's name was Gordon MacDonald, and writing on, um, I think it's The Resilient Life is the name of the book. There's a quote that I highlighted, and as an older man, he writes this. He writes, in the long run, I think that satisfaction is more important than happiness. Satisfaction is more important than happiness. Well, Solomon's saying, listen, there's no satisfaction or happiness apart from God. He works through the cyclical nature of life and death, reminding us that everyone will eventually die and that the earthly achievements, that they've, the things they've accomplished in life are simply going to be passed on to somebody else. Think about the fact that everything that Solomon built, he passed on to who? Rehoboam. Rehoboam. All the wisdom he had, all the, all the things he had learned, all the things that he tried to, to, to teach, to show, the mistakes he made, all of it, the wisest man was followed by a foolish son who wouldn't listen. He listened to his buddies and not to wise men. So along the way, in, in Ecclesiastes, I'm, 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 I'm working towards an idea here. Along the way, Solomon teaches the importance of recognizing God's hand in everything. Even though our understanding is limited, we still ought to see God's working in our life circumstances, our talents, our abilities, our weaknesses, our shortcomings. He, uh, he uses those things, our opportunities, he uses those things. And Solomon calls us to fear God and keep his commandments, teaching that meaning, true meaning, true meaning, because people try to derive meaning from stuff. Okay? If they see a a cloud that's shaped like Jesus, then it means they can go ahead and buy that car, right? That's not faith, right? People derive meaning from stuff, but true meaning, true meaning, and ultimately true purpose is going to come from a relationship with God, walking with God, right? Walking with Him by His Word. By the time we get to the end of the book, okay, in Ecclesiastes 12, Solomon restates his thesis. Okay, so if ever you have taken a class where you had to write a research paper, there is a particular model they teach you to follow. They teach you that in your introduction, you have your introductory material, and you finish your introductory material with your thesis statement. And then you, you make your points, whether it's three, four, or ten, you work through your argument, you make your points, and then when you get to the end, you restate your thesis and conclude. It's interesting, I wonder where they learned that from. Maybe they read Ecclesiastes. He restates in Ecclesiastes 12.8, what do we see? Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. But in Solomon's conclusion, we see that he had arrived through his experience, 
through his learning, at a place of understanding. So the things that happened to Solomon were not lost to him. He considered those things. He looked upon those things. He drew conclusions from those things. And having arrived at a place of understanding and a place of wisdom, he then is qualified to do some things. In fact, in verse number 9, the Bible says that the preacher was wise. He was wise. So all the things, right, wrong, or indifferent, that Solomon did in his life, with his life, all of the things that he read, all of the things that he listened to, through those things, he came to a place where the Bible describes him as wise. As wise. And the preacher being wise, having this wisdom, came with a responsibility. It came with a calling to preach the wisdom, to teach the wisdom that he had received. If you look in verse 9, the Bible says, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. So Solomon, because he's wise, and, and let's, let's be nuanced enough here to recognize that Solomon was not the pastor or deacon of a local New Testament church, right? But the Bible still describes him as what? Preacher. A preacher, right? He's able to declare and to teach in an in a intelligent, reasoned, careful way the things that he has learned. And because he has learned these things, he is compelled to teach them. He's compelled to preach wisdom. I want to define wisdom for you the way that I best understand it. If, if adult, you want to fix this later, you have all day tomorrow to fix it. <laughs> but when it comes to wisdom, a lot of times we look at wisdom as reduced to this very simple mathematical formula, formula of applying truth or truth applied. Wisdom is truth applied. Okay? Um, I can't disagree with that. Wisdom is the proper application of truth. But I would suggest to you that maybe a, a deeper understanding of wisdom is that wisdom is the eternal mind of God that is manifested in His creation. Hmm. Wisdom is the eternal mind of God manifested in His creation. If you were to do a word study on the word wisdom, you would find that wisdom is not something that men simply discover. Wisdom is something that is given from God to men. Men can request it. Men can seek after it, can pray for it, can, can study after it. But ultimately, wisdom is something, in Proverbs 8 we learn, was with God in the beginning. And wisdom is something that is God-given. Well, what is it that God gives in wisdom? He's giving us His mind. And oftentimes, that mind is, uh, that wisdom, for us to understand it, is manifested in the creation in which we live. His wisdom is completely manifested in Christ. So, if we were to take a step back and think about what's my job as a preacher? What's my job as a teacher? What is my job as a, as a um, leading a Bible study? What's my job in raising my daughter and my five boys or my grandkids? My job is to declare the wisdom of God to those under my influence in a way that makes sense. That's, that is 
that is derived, that is truth, but that is going to be compelling and digestible for them. Okay? So I'm using the word digestible to you, but I wouldn't use the word digestible for my four-year-old. Right? I have, um, where I preach, the, the church I pastor, uh, is probably very similar to Pastor Chassis' church. Uh, both Pastor Chassis' church, probably Pastor Jake Chassis' church. So Jake was uh, my youth pastor for about four years, uh, four and a half years. Um, there's a certain dialect that you use in Maine that resonates with Mainers. That when I go and I preach in my the church my wife grew up in in Texas, they just don't get it. <laughs> so yeah, my 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 humor, which to me is is uh, witty and incredible, and compelling. <laughs> they just they don't see it, right? So when we're as a preacher, as a teacher, we are trying to impart the wisdom of God, the mind of God, to people in a digestible way. And a preacher, I think according to Ecclesiastes 12, a preacher is going to be a, per, a man who is wise, and that wisdom is going to be marked by certain characteristics. Okay, so how do you know if a preacher is wise? How do you know if a position, if a person is in a position to teach? There's some characteristics here that would help us understand what that looks like. I have been in churches um, where, you know, a pastor... Um, lead someone to the Lord. He leads a man who is a successful businessman to the Lord, a man who is a, a CEO of a company. He is street smart, book smart, but ultimately the scripture bears out that he's what? A babe in Christ. Mm -hmm. But because that man is a CEO, he's successful financially, he's successful in his, in his secular pursuits, uh, the preacher can be tempted to take that man and put him in a position of leadership or teaching and guess what? Shouldn't do that, right? Whereas the man who might not be as gifted or as talented, uh, but he, he in, his, in a simple way, in a compelling way, because he walks with God, he can, he can teach, he can impart truth from God's word, he'd be better off taking the guy that's less talented but works hard and knows what he's after than the guy that's talented. Now, I know I'm giving you two ditches, or I'm giving you ditches, we think about wisdom. Wisdom isn't talent. Wisdom isn't um, personality. Wisdom is not um, clever wit. All those things. That's not what wisdom is. Wisdom is having a handle of the mind of God. Having a handle of what God's word says and being able to communicate that. So, four characteristics. Here's what I'd like to do. Um, this is different than preaching because it is teaching. And so if I... If you get a question, you can welcome to throw your hand up. And if I get a question, I'm welcome to ask those questions. All right, are we good? All right, so four, four marks of a wise preacher. The first is this. He loves people and is motivated to preach in service to them. He loves people and is motivated to preach in service to them. Now I have to be, um, I'll be transparent with you. When I went to Bible college, I had never been farther south, um, really than New Hampshire. Okay, so I had not, I was not very worldly wise. I hadn't seen a whole lot. When I went down to Bible college and I was in 
what they called ministerial seminar. They would they called us preacher boys. Okay, so this is a this is a, a Mainer kid who who hasn't seen anything of the South. Okay, uh, doll, you had a you guys you would have had a good time, <laughs> right? The first time I went to a, a restaurant in the South, it was a Shoney's. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I mean they had me at breakfast buffet, right? Okay, I'm dialed in. I can do I can do breakfast buffet, but I'll never forget I went and I sat down, me and my grandfather, I sit down and and I, this waitress comes up and she's pro, she's she's got to be north of 60, okay? And she she's uh, got a lot of makeup on and she Dang. comes over, all right? And she puts her hand on my shoulder. Which you know, like, if you're from here, she's already crossed boundaries. Right? <laughs> like, when I hug my mom, when I hug my mom, it's two taps and we're done. Okay, that's about how it goes. She puts her hand on my shoulder and she says, what can I get for you, sugar? Okay? And I'm like, she's not talking about granulated sugar. She's, she's Is that called... when you moved to the south? <laughs> That's when I thought, okay, something bad's happening. Right, something wildly inappropriate is happening right now. I haven't been in this place for a day, okay, and I'm getting defiled already. Um, I get down into that, that, that culture, and there's... So you know, I'm talking, when I talk about culture, you get what I'm after, right? There's just ways that we interact, way that we, ways that we talk, express ourselves. I noticed that some of the preacher boys, that when I spoke to them, they spoke one way, and they pronounced their consonants and their vowels one way. But when they got into the pulpit, they used an entirely different way of speaking. Right? <laughs> And I thought, okay, is this what I'm, is this what I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to say, right? It's just a change how it is that I speak, right? And I, I, here's, what I, here's what I gathered. I gathered that, okay, some of these guys might be here. Um, part of their motivation may be to impress or to demonstrate or to, or to kind of show off their ability to mimic another preacher. Because then what happened is, we'd have a guest preacher come through, and I'd start connecting dots. Okay, now I know what you're doing because you sound just like this guy. All right, you're trying to mimic him. So what would be the motivation to mimic? Well, it could be that you think this is the way it's supposed to be done, but it also could be some showboating there, right? Trying to impress my peers with my ability to sound like the evangelist. Our motivation to teach and preach ought to be built upon but just a love for people and love to serve them. You notice that the Bible says of Solomon, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. I would suggest to you that there is a correlation between the genuine acquisition of wisdom and a willingness to teach. They're connected. There's a correlation between the genuine learning and grasp and acquiring of wisdom and a willingness to teach that wisdom. In other words, the wiser you get, you don't get farther away from people. You don't get farther. That's not the nature of God's wisdom. There are different kinds of wisdom in the world. There is earthly wisdom, 
right? That is sensual and devilish. There is, there's other systems of wisdom, but the wisdom of God that we are to try to give to people, if God gives us wisdom, there's going to come with that a willingness to teach. In Proverbs chapter 8, in verse 1, we read, Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? And in Proverbs 8, wisdom is personified as, as a woman calling to the simple that they might come and be made wise. So if, if, if we're going to be wise, if we want to be wise as preachers, we ought to understand that with that is going to have to, there's going to have to be a love for people and a motivation to preach and teach in service to them. It doesn't matter whether those people are little people or big people. It doesn't matter whether they're little people or big people. There's a question that a friend of mine asked me a long time ago that helped me in my parenting. He asked me, he said, hey, is your son a quarter of a person, a half a person, or a whole person? And I was like thinking, okay, I know you're getting after me. He's a whole person. He's like, then speak to him that way. Don't speak to him like he's half a person. Don't speak to him like he's a quarter of a person. Speak to him like he's a whole person. Treat him with that respect. Kids are pretty perceptive, aren't they? Kids know when you are not really interested in them and you're just trying to get through to the next thing. They may not be able to put words to it. They may not be able to, to write down what they're feeling, but they know when you don't care. And you know, people know when you don't care about them. Yep. People know when you don't care about them. People know when you're more interested in getting through the content than you are slowing things down and making sure that they understand. And a wise teacher, a wise preacher, he's, he's just he's going to love people enough. doesn't matter who it is. Whether it's kids, grandkids, church members, new converts, um, old, you know, old people who are still babes in Christ. doesn't matter who they are. Uh, people have been saved for many, many years. That's what I meant by that. People have been saved for many, many years, but still just haven't grown. There's going to be a love for them. And you can't separate the art of teaching and preaching, the discipline of teaching and preaching, from its purpose is to help people. It's to help people. I don't know if it's, I can't remember if it's Schaefer who talks about art for art's sake. Maybe not Schaefer, it may be another guy I was reading. But sometimes, um, you know, if, how many of you have built a house before? Built a house. Okay, I built my house. I've built my house and I've built spec houses. When you build a spec house, your attention to detail and your concern and your care is different than when you're building your house. Because you're building your house for your family and the needs of your family. So the design, the finish, all of it, all those details are tied to your relationship to those people who are concerned for them. When you're building a spec house, all you want to do is what? Make money. So when you're teaching and preaching to people, you have to think, am I, am, am I building people who I care about, or am I just in this for some kind of profit? Am I leveraging this for some kind of profit? And so it's not building a house for the sake of building a house and making money. It's not art for art's sake. It is an art and a discipline in order to help people. So number one, very simple, you gotta love people and be motivated to preach in service to them. The preacher was wise, and because he was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Now we get to the funner stuff. Funner's a word, right? Number two, 
He learns so that he may develop his mind and thereby improve his preaching and teaching. I'm using the terms, by the way, tonight, preaching and teaching. I know it's going to come across as somewhat interchangeable, um, but sometimes it's not. Okay, Preaching and teaching. He learns so that he may develop his mind and thereby improve his preaching. You have one mind, you have one brain, and you've got one life. And you can only really focus on one thing at a time. You can only really focus on one thing at a time. Verse 9 in describing the preacher, the Bible says that he gave good heed, he sought out, and he set in order many proverbs. He gave good heed, he sought out, and set in order many proverbs. So just three simple thoughts from that verse. To give good heed is to learn as deeply as you can. To give good heed is to learn as deeply as he can. Now, I'm just as guilty as the next guy of doing this, but you know when you're in a conversation with someone and, and, and their eyes are locked with your eyes, that there's focus and there's communication. There's not just information exchange, but there's a, there's a dialogue, even an internal dialogue. But as soon as that guy's eyes start to wander, right, or his watch vibrates, or there's a distraction, you know, he's gone, right? We all do that. Our attention span is limited. And when it comes to our learning, we have to develop habits of focus where we are able to learn as deeply as we can. A man wrote, the half-informed man is not the man who only knows half of the things, but the man who only half knows things. Because there's so much information available, um, I would suggest to you that one of the one of the hindrances that independent Baptists bring upon themselves is that we can shoot first and ask questions later. We can be half-informed. Yeah. And the half-informed man is not the man who only knows half of the things, but the man who only half knows things. I see this in some of our own church kids, just listening to them talk, and listen to them spout off. Really what they're doing is they're parroting what they're hearing. And when you hear them parrot what they hear, they're parroting it because they're hearing it where? Well, at home or their peers, or the talking box. And they're parroting things that if they actually were to slow down and think about what it is they're saying, there might be time to stop ignorance before it takes root. And we have to, to be willing to learn as deeply as we can. Now, when we talk about deeply, um, that's not necessarily broadly. Okay? There's a lot of things to know, but you can't know everything. And so you have to be willing to figure out the things that you're interested in. The Bible says that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, He'll give us the desires of our heart. So I take that to mean that, the, that there's right desires that God gives to me, that I'm going to invest my time 
and my interests in. Okay, Dalt is, I'm sorry that I'm going to use you as an example, but you're my friend and, and I'm trying not to embarrass you. Um, but we were talking about weightlifting a little bit before, and I believe Josh, where are you at? Josh, we're talking that. Is Josh calling? Where are you at, bro? Sorry, man. He was too close to Dalt Steve. His aura was overtaking you. Okay. <laughs> we were talking about lifting weights, okay? I don't really care about lifting weights. I don't like it. There's, there's young guys in my church that, you know, they want to do it, and so they're pushing me to do it. It's just not my thing. I don't have an interest in it. I want to be able to lug a bundle of shingles up a ladder onto a roof, and I want to be just good enough to do that, um, long enough to get the roof done, get paid, and move on, okay? But I like to run. And I got kids on my basketball team, boys on my basketball team, who could do push-ups. Um, if I did push-ups with them, I would push up. I would just end up puking at the end. Okay? They could push up all day, and I would throw up. But if we have to run a distance, I like my odds. I don't care how fit they are. I just know that I'm too dumb to quit, and I can keep going. <laughs> so we all have interests. We have things that, that are God-given. So I don't feel compelled to learn as much as I can about weightlifting because I don't have that desire. But I learn what I can about running. All right, when it comes to the scriptures, there are things that have application to you at your particular time in life. You know, we all, I think, should, should recognize the value of a, a Bible reading plan. Sometimes your Bible reading plan is to slow down. Sometimes it's to pick up, whatever. But still working at being deeply considering, deeply learning. I was watching a video before I came up today to verify this, uh, but I was trying to teach my son this about the power of focus, right? So if, you, if you're studying for something, and you sit down to study a passage, you're going to study Ecclesiastes 12, some practical recommendations would be, you want to pick a place that's quiet, where your phone is not available to you, where the resources that you need are available to you. I think you should choose good paper. You should choose a good pen. You should even maybe consider using particular forms of music to help you get into a flow of thought. ACDC and, and Leonard Skinner is not going to do it for you. Okay? But there are certain kinds of music that do help you think and process uh, more deeply and thoroughly and quickly. So, so focus, when you, when you focus your God-given energy upon study, upon thinking, upon ideas. You know, what's interesting is I watched a couple of guys cut a steel anvil today with water. You ever seen that? You use a water jet, and you increase the pressure of that water to the range of 20,000 to 60,000 PSI. In about 40 minutes, you can cut through a brand new steel anvil with water. Why does that work? Because, because focus, when you pressurize that water and you force that water, you put it under pressure and, and force it through this tiny nozzle, there's enough power there to cut through steel. And so sometimes our inability to think, our inability to think deeply is because we're so scattered that we're not able to focus on what's in front of us. And we, our heart is to teach, our heart is to... To, to impart to people wisdom, but maybe practically we're not learning as deeply because we haven't made some decisions about how it is that we're going to study. 
mm -hmm. are unprepared. Um, if you're in a position where you preach on a regular basis, I'm bivocational, okay, so I can speak to this. Saturday night, Saturday night prep is garbage time. It's garbage time. Saturday night, maybe you're, you know, you're looking over service schedule, you're, think, you're, you're thinking about people, praying about people, um, reaching out, tying up loose ends, but Saturday night, being the first time you look at a text, that's, that's garbage time at that point. You know what I mean by garbage time? Like, I coach a basketball team. Garbage time is when the game's already decided. And you're just getting guys in for minutes. And it's not quality basketball. It's funny to watch sometimes, but it's not quality basketball. We've got to learn as deeply as we can. That means saying yes to good things and no to things that just aren't that great and worth your study time. There's all kinds of garbage you can spend time studying. Guess what? There's all kinds of garbage that Timothy could have spent time studying. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.4. He says, neither give heed, because we're talking about giving good heed, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. I know there's at least one guy in here who's a Sasquatch guy. <laughs> <laughs> I like Sasquatch too, all right? You're not talking about his wife. No way. No, sir. And though there's things that are fun, right? Listen, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a UFO guy, okay? I think there's, we can talk later, but I think there's a lot going on there that is metaphysical and spiritual that has a biblical explanation. But I can't preach that on a Sunday morning. It's not going to help people raise their families. But I can on Sunday afternoon. Okay. <laughs> he learns as deeply as he can. Number two, he learns continually. The Bible says that Solomon sought out. He sought out wisdom. Okay, so he learns continually. Proverbs 4, 5 says, Get wisdom, get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of thy mouth. And then Proverbs 4, 7, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Get understanding. I love it when you, when you say to your boys, get after it, they know what you're talking about. So when God says, as it pertains to wisdom, get after it, we ought to know what he's talking about. With all thy getting, get understanding. This past Sunday, we're looking at Mark chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And you notice that when it comes to the transfiguration, Jesus does not invite all the disciples to go up. It's not 12 apostles. There was room for them to come, but he only invites who? Peter, James, and John. Why did he only invite Peter, James, and John? Those guys weren't trained. They weren't um, professionally educated uh, pastors or, or Pharisees of the day. They were what? They were fishermen. But you know what could be said of Peter, James, and John? They got after it. They asked questions that other people wouldn't ask. They had bold faith that others didn't have. And it wasn't always perfect. Listen, James and John, when, when Jesus is about to go through Samaria on his way to Jerusalem, and the Samaritans don't want him to come through, they make him go around the city, what do James and John say? Hey, wants to pray down fire from heaven and destroy all of Samaria? Okay? You can say, okay, that's the wrong way of thinking, boys, but you can't doubt their zeal. You can't doubt their zeal. They got after it. They learned continually. So practically, what does it mean to learn continually? Well, it, it means reading. It means reading good stuff. 
It means using writing as a means to learn. It means learning to take notes. So, so at risk of, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but it's worth asking, like, what are you reading right now? Somebody, what are you reading right now and why are you reading it? I cannot even remember the title of the book, but I'm reading a book on being a better husband. Okay. I think it's uh, obvious why I'm reading that. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> Somebody else, what are you reading? I saw your hand go up. Oh, sorry. Okay. All right. I just started reading a book called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, I think, uh, because one of my sons was reading it, and I wanted to check out what he was putting in his mind. Sure. Um, so I'm not through it yet, so I can't really speak about it much, but right. but that's why. Okay. All right. So so reading in order to help disciple your children. Okay. Reading to be a better husband. Okay. Yeah. So uh, actually. Um, what I was going to say was uh, I was actually given a book about young men and about growing into a uh, actual um, man. So it's just yeah, good to. Uh, That's great. All right, good. Okay. You know, one of my favorite men in the Bible is da is David, because David could kill people but also sing. I think that's pretty. <laughs> Those are good dance skills. Right? He could play an instrument but also he, he could kill people. I think that there's something valuable in that. I was sharing this with my with uh, with my wife, my first wife, and we were talking about. I only have one, so it's a listening test. Um, but we were talking about this, and and I, we were with another couple, and I said, "Listen, just think with me. Like, don't you want your husband to be capable of a reasonable level of violence? Yes, you do." You want your husband to be able to kill somebody because if someone's threatening your life, you need to know that that man has a way of protecting yours, right? That's why I like David. He could kill people and he could also, he could sing, he could write poetry. He was a man's man, okay? Somebody else, what are you reading? Yeah. Uh, Praying the Scriptures. Very good. So I read that book all the time. Yes. Good. You know why that's important? Can I tell you why right now? Because some people pray. They got, they're, they're sick and they're praying for the sickness to be taken away instead of praying for God's will to be accomplished in that sickness. Mm -hmm. That they might learn to, to grow and love God and depend upon God and not live for this life. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah, somebody else, what are you reading? Yeah. Self-destruct by a friend of mine called, uh, his name is Cisco Cervantes. Okay. Self-destruct. Is that tied to your ministry? Okay. So you're, you're reading in order to help you address the issues of your day. Okay. What are the issues of our day? Trying to make men into women. Okay, so transgenderism. Okay. What else? What are some of the issues? Abortion. Abortion. Okay. So. Nihilism. Nihilism is an issue. Yep. You know where nihilism came from? Remember, just people want to just be. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm just, I don't know. Care. It's fine. Yeah, it's, so, so nihilism, the term, was coined by a Russian writer. And there's a particular book that he wrote in which he introduced the idea, basically through a novel. And nihilism, you can kind of trace all the way back to Rene Descartes. You guys know who Rene Descartes is? You're the guy who said, I think, therefore I am. Okay? And R Rene Descartes, Descartes he made his, his Cartesian method of approaching reality was to doubt everything. And, it, and the way to find truth is to doubt everything. 
Okay, so this was his idea back in the 17th century. Has has Cartesian theory of doubting everything has that helped us or hurt us? <laughs> it's hurt us, right? So so if you know what the issues of your your day are, okay, and you're you're faithfully a, a part of your church, okay. Whose responsibility is it in the church to equip, along with the pastor, to equip and help the congregation know how to navigate those things? Right? It's us. It's us. So, so we have to, and listen, I grew up in a, a home. My parents did the best they could. They did the best they knew how. They would have benefited from you know, someone maybe coming alongside and discipling them. But I went home. We ate our meals around the TV, sat, at a, at a, uh, uh, sat in our living room with TV trays, right? And we ate our hamburger helper. Sometimes we just had helper. But we had our hamburger helper, <laughs> and we watched the news, and then we watched Wheel of Fortune, and then we watched Jeopardy, and then if we got to stay up extra late, it was maybe Law and Order or something, and then I went to bed. And that was... Mm. That was the sustenance for my brain growing up in my home. Okay. So you think, oh, well, you probably came from... No, I didn't. No, I had to make decisions that this is the world that I live in, and I need to have answers for my family and for um, my church and for the people that God gives me an opportunity to be, to be a help to, if I can be a help to them. I need to read. I need to be a reader. And reading doesn't come easily for everybody. Some people are slow readers, fast readers. Some people don't comprehend what they read. they got to reread it. Some people are dyslexic. That's a, a real, legit issue. But we ought to choose somehow to learn continually. Some of the... Uh, there's so many resources. You could read. There's podcasts. Right? There's a pod, My favorite Sasquatch podcast is called Blurry Creatures. That one's free. You look for Blurry Creatures, you will find all the Sasquatch stuff that you want. Always blurry. Okay, I want to make sure that Pastor Chassis, the CBS, for all the laughers, write that down. I know. Oh, it's going to be Psalm 10420. I'm with you. Hey, can I tell I'm, I'm, It's right there. I'm more with you than you think. Okay? I'm more with you than you think. Okay? Blurry creatures. Make sure you write that down. <laughs> what podcasts do you listen to? What do you? How do you work out ideas? Right. So sometimes the way to understand something is is just to write. And um, I can't. Again, I went to public school for the majority of my education. So I'm not this classically trained Christian school kid. I went to a public school where I learned all kinds of things by the fourth grade that no fourth grader should know. Mm. And that's like 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So it's not, I, I imagine the public school system is so much better than it was then. <laughs> it's not. It's everything the government does is awesome. It's, yeah, they're great. So I, uh, my penmanship was chicken scratch. It was somewhat embarrassing to uh, show people my notes. So you know what I did? Like as a grown man, I learned how to write cursive again. Because if I, I wanted to write quickly, but I wanted to go read it later, so I relearned how to write cursive. Can anybody relearn to write cursive? Yeah, you can. If that helps you work through your ideas, if having a nice pen and a nice pad of paper makes the process more enjoyable, then do that. Okay? Are you with me? Praise the Lord. All right. Okay? I have a pen. 
that I use for particular projects that is a fountain pen that has a gold tip. You know why it has a gold tip? Because I'm a bivocational pastor, I'm loaded. No. <laughs> because that's the material that causes the ink to flow from the pen more easily, and it removes resistance when I write. And so I learned how to write cursive, I got good paper and a good pen, and now I write, most of my sermons I write out by hand, and then I'll put them, I'll type them up after that. Just helps me think. Right? Yeah. It helps me think. Good. Windshield time took me three hours to drive up here. And actually, I'm grateful for it because I have time to think. I don't listen to, you know, I don't listen to Fox News Radio. I don't, because I don't want to get mad. I'm going to get mad anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you I, yourself in that program. Right, I just, I deliberately listen to things that are going to be a help to me when I have to be a help to others. So learning continually. Um, man, this is like, where am I at right now? Okay. Systematically taking notes in an organized way. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you things that whether you're young or old, it really doesn't matter because we can always do things better. So when I went to college, when they taught us how to write a research paper, my first thought was, this is stupid. I'm never going to need this. And they made us get three by five cards. And those three by five cards, we'd have to write uh, the, the book title at the top. We would have to write whatever note it was that we were citing from that book, and then we would have to write the page number, and then we would keep those ordered and, and organized. And then when it came time to write a paper, you pulled those cards out, and then you worked through those logically, and you wrote your research paper. Okay? For a long time, I thought, that's dumb. And then I realized, huh, that's the way Ben Franklin did it, in a sense. He had a commonplace book. And a commonplace book is, is somewhere where you just write down your thoughts. You write down the things that you read that interest you, the things that you want to think about later. But then they can get in that book, and they never leave that book. Find a way to organize it. Most of, most, you know, in my generation, you're finding ways to, to put things digitally um, on a phone. Do you know there's a book called Productivity by Douglas Wilson? Um, Douglas Wilson is he's not necessarily theologically of our bend, um, but he writes a book about work and how a man should think about work biblically. And he cites that our cell phones have the, the labor equivalent of 10,000 men. 10,000 men. Imagine if 10,000 guys work, you get stuff done. He said the problem is, is that we're poor managers of those that work for us. We're poor managers of our devices. If this device is worth 10,000 uh, laborers in terms of its capability, then I want to get better at putting those people to work. Organizing my resources. There's a guy named Tiago Forte. Um, he organizes his stuff. He calls it the para method. And he organizes all of his notes according to four categories. He has uh, projects that he's working on, areas of And that could be like, I looked at the guy. I've seen a couple of videos. I don't think he splits wood. Just going to say. But in your projects, you might have wood splitting. You might have house projects. But you might also have science school class. And those projects are things that you're continually working on, that you're, you're building those folders. And then areas of responsibility. Uh, you have also resources. And you have also 
an archive where everything that you're done with, you throw it in the archive. It's like, it's like your attic where just stuff goes and then you go and find it 15 years later. So finding ways to learn continually. And then also learning to communicate as effectively as you can. The Bible says in verse 9 that Solomon set in order many proverbs. He set in order many proverbs. So to learn to communicate as effectively as we can, it means that we're going to take a great deal of trouble to produce things to seem like produce things that are that, that come across as easy. When you think about a proverb, a proverb is a short statement that expresses a whole truth. It's a short statement that expresses a truth. It is a vehicle. It is concise. And a wise man can teach a large truth concisely. Which is hilarious because I've taken about 50 minutes to cover all this material. I'm thinking, man, if I was a wise man, I could have told you 10 minutes and we could all be home and be in bed. <laughs> We have to learn to communicate as effectively as we can, expressing things in a way that is memorable for people, that helps people understand. You know, God uh, putting me at self-liberty, one of the blessings of that is I got to work and I get to work alongside men that with the trades that we do, with the skills that those men have, those things very easily translate into teaching and preaching. If you're going to build a house, what is the most important thing? that you do before you build a house. Make sure you got enough stuff to finish it so you're gonna laugh at for getting halfway done. Okay. <laughs> says, All right, hold on. Yep. Let me hold that Most of us said foundation, right? Blueprint. Blueprint. Right? And and you know what that a blueprint, all a blueprint is doing is beginning with the end in mind. That's it. A blueprint is beginning with the end in mind. And you don't have to read Stephen Covey to know that beginning with the end in mind is really important. If you swing a hammer, you know I gotta have prints. If you're an electrician, if you're a plumber, you wanna have prints. You wanna begin with the end in mind. And then once you have the end in mind, then you wanna make sure the groundwork's done. Then you wanna make sure you get a good foundation. Make sure that foundation is square and plumb and level. And plumb and level are two different things, aren't they? Right? That's how you know the difference between an electrician and a carpenter. I worked for an electrician who everything was level. If it was this way, it was level. If this way, it was level. Like, no, I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> Learning to communicate as effectively as we can. Martin Lloyd-Jones, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, in his book, Preaching and Preachers, writes that a preacher should always be growing and advancing and developing so that what he cannot do in his younger days, he should be able to do in middle age and old age. Okay? And... and I don't buy into the idea that you cannot teach an old dog new tricks. There is, uh, again, I, I, I enjoy running. There was an Australian man who was a, uh, a sheep, he was a, a shepherd, and when, as a shepherd, um, because the, the area that he worked was just so wide and vast, when it came time to moving the sheep, uh, it was him and his sheep dog that would move the sheep by hand. They would move hundreds and hundreds of sheep. And, and so when there was wildfires, whatever it was, they're moving these sheep, moving these sheep, moving these sheep. And so he would always have to do it on foot. It was him and his dog on foot. At 60 years of age, this Australian man entered, at 60 years of age, he entered an ultra marathon. 
well over 100 miles, he entered this ultramarathon. First time he'd ever entered anything like that. So this guy, he shows up to the ultramarathon, and it's, it's over 100 miles, and he, is, he shows up in the same thing that he heard sheep with. Shows up in a pair of rubber boots, shows up in, a, in, a, in the clothes he would wear whenever he herded sheep. And so when everybody kind of poked fun and laughed at him, this is in, I believe, the, the 80s, when these things first kind of started happening. So when the race starts off, all of these other, you know, live and athletic and young runners, they start going, and, and he just starts off at a slow, methodical pace. After day one, when all the runners had stopped and were resting for the night, uh, he kept going. His pace was slower, but because through his life he had had to run through the night to guide the sheep, and he had, his body was used to just continuing to go and go and go in those rubber boots. He kept going while the others slept. Hmm. By the time day two started, he was in the middle of the pack. Through day two, he dropped back again, but when the younger runners stopped, he kept going. He slept for an hour or two, but he was used to that. He kept going. By day three, he was in first place, and he finished the race six hours before the second place finisher. Wow. Old man. Easy. <laughs> Older man. <laughs> Beat all those young guys. Why? Well, because cause he didn't quit. Because he tried something new and he'd done the work and he followed through. So we should always be going, always advancing and developing. Two scriptures, and I'll take a quick break. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Get everything out of it that you can. When it comes to a man named Archippus, Paul writes to Colossians, and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. So whether it's teaching or preaching, Kids, teens, adults, your family, you want to give your very best to it. So reading a book that your son is reading to make sure that what he's being taught squares with the Bible, that's what that looks like. Reading a book um, that helps you understand the worldview from which the transgenderist is coming from, that might be helpful in dealing with those issues. Understanding the times that we live in. So... That's number two. I've got two more points. But learning so that we may develop our mind and improve our preaching and teaching. Let's take a... How long of a break you want to take? Five minutes. Five minutes. Okay, five minutes and I'll be really fast after that. 